I'm Leslie Rushton, one of the deputy editors at OEM. Welcome to the first OEM podcast of 2017. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Audrey Gaskin, who is from the Chan School of Public Health at Harvard University in Boston, USA. And she is the senior author of a paper that's going to be published in OEM that looks at the workplace factors that are associated with ovarian function and fertility and fecundity. So welcome to the podcast, Audrey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Your study has has caused a a lot of interest in OEM and the BMJ because of the topical nature of the um, study. So I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about why you wanted to carry out this particular study. Sure. There have been a lot of previous studies on occupational exposures and fecundity. And by fecundity, I mean the ability for a woman to get pregnant. And these previous studies have used a variety of different endpoints to assess fecundity, so things like waiting time to pregnancy or some of unprotected intercourse. However, given the nature of these studies, they were unable to actually measure biomarkers of fecundity. And so when they found associations, they could only really postulate on any possible mechanisms that were underlying these associations. And so what we did is by studying a cohort of women who are undergoing infertility evaluation and specifically undergoing in vitro fertilization or IVF, it was actually possible for us to directly observe many markers of fecundity which cannot be observed in couples attempting to conceive naturally. And so by using this population, we were also able to circumvent a major limitation of previous studies, which is also the lack of information on the frequency or timing of sexual intercourse, because with IVF, uh, that's not involved. And this is also suspected to be a major kind of confounder in all of the previous studies. So how did you actually design the study? You're, you're, You're saying you're using the IVF patients. So what sort of data do you have from these patients that enables you to do this sort of study? So all of the study participants were women who were enrolled in our Environment and Reproductive Health Study, or EARTH study. And this is an ongoing study that was originally established in 2004 at the Massachusetts Hospital Fertility Center. And the main purpose is to evaluate environmental determinants of fertility. And so all of these women are presenting for some type of infertility evaluation and treatment. And so the markers we looked at for our outcomes were first markers of ovarian reserve. And the purpose of these markers is to give an indication of a woman's ovarian age. So we know that as we age, our number of eggs um, decrease over time. And so these markers are trying to give an indication of where you are in that decline and, and how far you are for your given age from where you should be. One of the first markers we use to assess this is the number, the antral follicle count, which is the number of visible eggs or follicles that are observed during a transvaginal ultrasound. And so in general, the number of antral follicles correlates with how many remaining eggs you have in your body. The other marker we use for ovarian reserve is serum FSH. And 
So this, again, is another marker of ovarian aging. So with normal ovarian function, as our follicles are developing, they secrete estrogen and inhibin B, and that suppresses FSH, keeping it in the normal range. So in, when you have a setting where there's a smaller pool of follicles developing, this decreases estrogen and inhibin B and actually increases FSH. So as women age and we're producing less follicles, our FSH levels tend to go up. So that would be a, a poor marker or a marker of kind of poor ovarian um, aging. So that was kind of one class of markers that we looked at first. Uh, and then we also looked at markers of ovarian response. And so this was specifically in women who underwent an IVF or in vitro fertilization cycle. And so here we're actually measuring, you know, how does a woman respond to this treatment? And, you know, how well do they produce oocytes, which are capable of developing into healthy embryos and then a healthy pregnancy? And so when IVF starts, women undergo this controlled ovarian stimulation to stimulate follicular development. So in contrast to a normal cycle and women conceiving naturally, the purpose of this stimulation is to have several eggs mature to increase the chances of success with treatment. So women are monitored daily throughout this treatment, and then once a fertility specialist has determined that the estrogen levels and the follicle sizes are sufficient, they administer a shot to induce oocyte maturity, and then women will undergo egg retrieval procedures. And so from there, we can actually measure the total number of oocytes or eggs that are retrieved, as well as the maturity of these oocytes. And the nice thing about this is that we know um, from all of the infertility literature that it's really only the mature oocytes that are capable of developing into embryos and, and to sustain a pregnancy. So I was just going to say, uh, uh, as well as um, collecting the, all the data from the individual women on the biological measures, what other data did you collect, for example, on occupation and lifestyle? Sure. So uh, when women enrolled in our study, they filled out a questionnaire where we asked information on their work schedule and their, the amount of physically demanding work that they currently perform. And so this included how often they lifted or moved heavy objects, as well as their perceived level of physical exertion. In regards to work schedule, we asked about um, shift timing, and so whether their typical work shift was day, evening, night, or rotating. And then outside of the occupational questions, we asked uh, a host of information about other demographic and lifestyle characteristics, including measured body weight and height, smoking status, dietary characteristics, physical activity, as well as a complete reproductive and medical history. So you've put all these um, measures together in comprehensive analysis. So tell us about some of the key findings, the main messages that you have from this study. In our study, we found that women who reported moving or heavy, or heavy lifting at work had lower total amateur oocyte yields, and they also had slightly lower antrophollicle counts. And this association was particularly strong among women who were, who were overweight or obese, as well as older women, so women who are older than 36 years of age. We also found that women who are working non-daytime work schedules had lower oocyte yields or fewer eggs retrieved. 
And these findings have important clinical implications, as I mentioned, because women with fewer oocytes, particularly mature oocytes, would have fewer eggs that are capable of developing into healthy embryos. Our results also suggested that occupational factors, such as shift work and physically demanding work, may be more specifically affecting oocyte production and quality, rather than accelerating ovarian aging. So did you find any uh, relation between whether there was more physical work than less? Did you get a a dose response in any way? Did you get any idea of whether it was particular physical work which might be uh, uh, an issue here? So we only had two questions about physical workload. The first was moving or lifting heavy loads. And that was the one that was most strongly associated with the markers that we examined, as opposed to perceived physical exertion. Um, That one wasn't as strongly related. And so it really appears to be this moving or lifting heavy objects, which is, you know, admittedly very vague term, that was more important than how a woman perceived her level of physical exertion at work. And uh, was there any association with any of the lifestyle physical activity or anything like that? So those are actually topics of separate papers, but, you know, we have found uh, that body weight is important, as many others have found. Physical activity is uh, important, but maybe not as much as other factors uh, that we've looked at. And then we've published a variety of papers on dietary factors, such as folate and vitamin B12. Um, Vitamin D is coming out soon, and so... Yes, we have we have focused on plenty of other modifiable factors as well. So, um, as I've said before, the um, OEM and BMJ group see some important implications arising from this study, uh, hence the this podcast and the, um, the press release. So, um, what do you feel are the potential implications of these findings for both employers and employers, and perhaps policymakers as well? in terms of of work? You know, our study, in addition to many others, have identified non-daytime shift work and physically demanding work as two potential hazards to a woman's fecundity. And so while our results need to be replicated in other cohorts before strong recommendations can be made, women who are planning pregnancy should at the very least be cognizant of these potential negative impacts. And, you know, they should be aware that two exposures uh, that are relatively common in today's world that could potentially be having a detriment to their fecundity. So perhaps you feel they should discuss this with their employers if they feel able to and and try to cut down on shift work and night work and heavy lifting and so on. Perhaps. And, you know, that's one area of research uh, that I think where we're moving towards. So, for example, we weren't able to tease out whether it was a short versus a long-term exposure to these work and physically demanding work that was driving this association. And so what I think would be really interesting to look at in future studies is you know, if a woman modified her current work schedule, let's say to decrease her night or shift work and to decrease her physically demanding work, would that actually improve these biomarkers in the short term. And so that's still very much an unanswered question, but would be very relevant for giving these types of recommendations. Can I just ask a question about age here? Because many women who go for IVF um, are getting into their 30s, aren't they? 
um, towards the end of their um, reproductive life. Do you feel that your study could give any indication of, of when women should start thinking about this from the point of view of fecundity? There's obviously a lot of things that go into determining when a woman chooses to get pregnant or to get pregnant. And so it's younger is generally always better, but in today's world we do have a lot of biomarkers like the ones I mentioned that can give women an idea of where they stand in relation to other women their age. And if they are worried about their fertility, uh, they can always talk with their physician about having some of these tests done and then from there determine they want to undergo um, you know, any sort of more invasive treatment for help getting pregnant. That's very helpful advice, Audrey. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for doing this podcast for OEM. Further details of the paper and where to get hold of it, if anybody's interested, can be found on the OEM website. Thanks very much. Thanks.